Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. We're going to begin a brand new series this week on commitments that build character. Commitment is a word that's lost a lot of its punch in today's culture, but it is a great word. And I'm often reminded that my gift, your ability, your talent can promote you, but it won't keep you. What'll keep you is your character, your values. That's what that's why we see a lot of people with great gift, great skill, great talent soar, but they don't have any character and they crash and burn. So we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to grow. We want to become mature people. We, commitment is a, is a great word and you won't have a good marriage. You won't have a good career. You won't fulfill a dream or a vision unless you're committed to it. And I don't know why in this culture that people don't want to be committed to anything. Thank God our Father in heaven is committed to us never leave you, never forsake you. I don't know why we can't reflect a little bit of that in our life here on planet earth. So I want to talk about commitments just to begin, commitment to people by why you need a church home. And this is to believers. If you're not a Christian, you can join a garage. It doesn't make any difference. Wouldn't help you anyway. But if you're a follower of Jesus, why do you need a church home? During a national survey of the goals of affluent people in America, they asked them, What do you consider to be absolutely essential in your life? And what have you already achieved? 7% said belonging to a prestigious club. 11% said owning an expensive car. Another 11% said owning art or antiques. 18% said owning a vacation or retirement home. 26% said participating in public affairs or politics. 36% said being able to retire early. 41% said providing my family with fine home, fine clothes, and fine furnishings. 45% said having your own business. 47% said making a real spiritual or religious commitment. And 61% said they had already achieved it. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some basic commitments everybody needs to make in order to develop our character. The next lesson is about our purpose in life. Really important. So let's start with commitment to people through a local church and why that's important to your character development. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's house with every other Christian. That verse teaches us two important truths. Number one, the church is a family. It's not a business. It's not a building. It's not a club. It's not a religion. It's not a political party. It's a family, but it's God's family. So Christianity means not only relating to God, but relating to other people who are also believers. God says the Christian life can only be lived in relationship to other believers. That's why he sets the solitary in families. See, a Christian without a family is an orphan. The church is God's family. So every Christian needs a believing family to associate with. They need a church home. 
Secondly, a Christian isn't just a believer, but he's supposed to be a belonger. Romans 12, verse 5, Paul writes, In Christ we who are many, by the way, many young, middle-aged, old, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, all kinds, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I don't just belong to believers in my race or my culture or my nationality. I belong to every believer in Jesus. And if God calls you son, you're my brother. I mean, I like you, but you're my brother. Does it make it? Okay. In the New Testament, there was no such thing as Christians who didn't have a church home. There were no floating parts. We call that clots when something's floating in your body, right? That's not good. The Bible tells us that when Christians moved to a new town, they had to take letters of recommendation commending them to the next church. There was no such thing as a believer without a church home. In fact, because of persecution for being a believer, you couldn't even get in a church without a letter of recommendation from your previous church. Only in America does the attitude exist, I'm a Christian, I don't need anybody else. But the Bible teaches we are members and we belong to the body of Christ. Studies show that human beings have a deep sense of needing to belong. And as our society fragments, we need to be able to say, this is where I'm connected, this is where I'm joined, this is where I'm planted. It's kind of like the theme from the sitcom Cheers. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah, we all need a sense of connection. See, notice it says member. When you become a member of a church, it means you are actively involved. You're not a spectator. You're a participator. You're not just a consumer. You're a contributor. You're not just along for the ride. You're part of the crew. You're part of the team. So how do you find a church that's right for you? couple of simple things. Number one, it helps me get spiritually motivated. Hebrews 10, verse 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. So the Bible says church is to be a place of encouragement. It's not a place of damnation, and I'm supposed to beat you over the head, a condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation to those in Christ. It's supposed to, to motivate you and encourage you, give you hope. We all need encouragement. From time to time, I don't know anybody that doesn't. If you take a hot coal off your barbecue fire and put it aside, you know what happens. It gets cold as ice. But if you put the coal back in the fire, it heats up again. So the church is a place to get warmed up. You're in the world all week. You're getting blasted. You're getting beat up. And you come in here on a weekend, and maybe there's fatigue, and maybe, maybe there's a little drama. But when you leave, you're supposed to be ready to take on the world. Hey, I'm going to live another day. I've got a little bit of hope to strengthen me. I'm going to make it through this tough time. So a good church spiritually motivates you. Listen to these different scriptures. Have fellowship with one another. Greet one another. Love one another. Accept one another. Be devoted to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. These are all New Testament scriptures. Galatians 6, 2, share each other's troubles and problems. 
and so obey our Lord's command. In other words, we're supposed to take care of our own. It helps me to stay spiritually motivated. Number two, a good church helps me develop maturity, spiritual maturity. God wants you to grow up. Now, I grew up in church that wanted to go up, but God says, "Uh uh-uh, I want you to grow up. Most important that you mature. I mean, when we have children, don't we want them to mature so we don't have to say every day, clean your room, brush your teeth, wash your hands, say thank you. We hope at some point they mature and say thank you. Uh, Is your room? I already cleaned up my room. Yes, I brushed my teeth. I'm ready for school. I did. Oh, okay. Those are good signs if you're a parent. My kid's starting to mature. Hebrews 6, verse 1 said us, let us go on and become mature in our understanding as strong Christians ought to be. Then in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, it says, they were baptized and joined the other believers in regular attendance at the apostles' teaching sessions. They worshiped together regularly at the temple and met in small groups in homes for communion. So notice, the believer was baptized, joined that fellowship, worshiped, and met in small groups. These four keys to spiritual growth. See, that's what the church is to help all of us do. The purpose of a good church is to help you grow spiritually. Second, to develop spiritual maturity. Third, it's supposed to help me discover my ministry. All of us have a psychological need to feel worthwhile to feel wanted, to feel valued, to know that our lives count and that we're making a significant contribution to life. If you don't know that your life matters, you're going to be very unfulfilled. The Bible says the way you find that fulfillment is to be the way God made you to be and to do what God made you to do. That's your ministry. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, meaning before you were born, God decided what spiritual gifts you'd get, what abilities, what talent, what skill you would be able to acquire. He determined that. And God gave them to you and I for a purpose. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you some special ability. Be sure to use them to help each other, not just to make a million dollars, not just to win an election, to help other people. When you help other people, you're ministering. Every member is a minister. People that sign you up, people that greet, they're all part of the family, all participating in ministry. But we don't have the same ministry anymore that every part of my body has a different function, right? This is this open book test. This is real easy. Okay. So, okay. So what determines what ministry I'm supposed to have as a Christian in life? It's determined by the gifts, skill, and ability God has given you. And notice, everybody gets a gift. Some got five, some two, some one. There is no giftless person in this room. Everybody has something. So how do you discover that? Ephesians 4. Verse 11 and 12, God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets, apostles to prepare God's people for Christian service. 
In other words, going to heaven's nice, but would you do something while you're on earth? We, we, we need to, it's both, both being born again. Secondly, once you join a church, now get active. Use your gifts. Help out. Do something. Some people work in the electronics, some in the music, some sing. Some should never sing. But everybody should do something. See? That's what the church is for. You learn your ministry in church. The secret to fulfillment is to do what God made you to do. It's not comparing it to anybody else. It's your contribution. So God has given pastors and teachers to equip you. See, self-esteem comes from service, not from stuff. A lot of people feel bad about themselves. They don't like themselves. So they try to prop themselves up with symbols of success or status. But self-esteem doesn't come from status and stuff. It comes from service. I don't think Mother Teresa ever worried about low self-esteem. She knew her life mattered and that she wasn't just taking up space on this planet. So a good church will help me stay spiritually motivated. Second, it'll help me develop spiritual maturity. And third, it helps me to discover my ministry. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, he says this, there are different kinds of service and together you form the body of Christ, and each one of you is a necessary part of it. There are no spare parts in the body of Christ. Ever see a jigsaw puzzle with just one piece missing? What do you notice first? The piece that's missing. If you're a Christian and you don't fit in your place and do what God made you to do, well, there's a big hole in the picture. God says that every member is necessary in his body. Can you imagine your physical body if your liver decided to go on strike? Maybe just jump from one body to another body. Body floating, we could call it. That goes on a lot. What if the liver said, well, I'll stay, but I'm not going to participate? You're in trouble. Every part of your body is necessary. If you're not using your ministry, you're cheating other believers. If every part is important, then a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. See, a member is a participator. An attender is a spectator. A member is a contributor. An attender is a consumer. God wants you to find... Thank you, my brother. Come up closer here. Thanks, Memo. I, I, I can do something really good, and there are plenty of things... I stink at. I'm no good at that. But because we're a family and a body, we have people who are very good at it. So no one's good at everything. I need help occasionally. I remember when I went through a reaction to a chemical when I had a, a little rotator cuff surgery, and I remember I picked a couple of people and told my wife, please call them and get them over here. I've never done that in my whole life. But I realized I need somebody who can do better what I'm not able to do, who will help me. That's their gift, that's their love, that's their function in the body, so I want them close to me. Now, I might not need them for the rest of my life, but they're here if you need them. Everybody in here has got a need, and there's the answer to that need right in this room. It's there, but if you're not connected, if you're not part of that function in the body, you'll go without it when God could have met that need easily. So it's really important to get connected. Okay, it's not being religious, it's being smart. All right, and fourth, it helps you fulfill your mission in life. Everybody needs a cause to live for, a purpose that's greater than yourself. 
In fact, you need a cause so bad, if you don't find the right one in life, you'll make one up. Some people make sports their cause. Others, politics their cause. They decide decorating a house will be my cause. Pretty shallow cause. A group in England has now formed an animal liberation group that said we should put clothes on all dogs and cats. (laughs) That's their purpose in life. See, when you miss out on God's purpose for you, which is good, you'll make up something dumb. That moment you gave your life to Jesus, you were given a mission in life. Now, all of us, everybody is given the Great Commission, go into all the world, spread the good news of Jesus, make disciples. If you're a believer, God will ask you, I imagine arriving in heaven, what'd you do about the mission? See, who are you taking to heaven with you? But we all have a mission. Now, we don't have the same function in the mission, but the people greeting you, the people handling the nursery, people who you don't even see running, we all are participating. And when somebody gives their life to Jesus, we're all in on it. We're all sharing in that victory. I'm doing something with a team that will make a difference in eternity. I'm part of that. So understood, Paul Paul understood this. Acts 20, verse 24. Listen to what he says. He says, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others about the good news of God's kindness and love. It's called good news for crying out loud. We have so many religious people that only have bad news. I don't even want to see them coming. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I'm not called to share what's wrong. I'm called to share good news. On your worst day, good news. That's why all the bad people, at least we call them bad. I think it was the religious people who were the worst, but the bad people flocked to Jesus. And I have some friends, I don't think they'd want to go near you. So they always stay in a small, we're the select of the elect. We only have the truth. And they usually keep it about that big. Never grows. Jesus just shared good news. Have you ever figured out why God leaves you on earth after you become a Christian? Now, I wish he'd take some people, but he doesn't. (laughs) You can't say I'm not transparent. Okay, come on, whatever you say. Why doesn't God just zap me up to heaven? Why does he leave me around problems, frustration, broken heart, tragedy, disappointments, and all kinds of evil? Well, because in heaven you can't tell non-believers about Jesus. They won't be there. So you have to do it here on this broken, dark world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, we are all Christ's ambassador. In other words, if we have an ambassador from the United States in a foreign country, he is a delegated authority to represent the United States of America in that country. You, as a believer in Jesus, are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. You are representative of Jesus Christ wherever you go. See? So I represent Jesus at work, in school, in my neighborhood, my company. And as a church, we want to help you fulfill your missionary training and provide multiple service so you can invite friends and help them, encourage them. Okay, how do you choose a church family? Simple stuff. Number one, first of all, what's its statement? Not, is it close? It's close. Yeah, death is pretty close too, you know. Bible says it's just a vapor. You don't know where it is. 
So what does it believe? Do they accept the Bible as God's completed word? It's not the Bible plus another little book. Do they view the Bible as God's word? Do they change it? Did they delete it? See, in our culture today, boy, the rules are changing and laws are changing politically and culturally, right and left. Wrong is called right and right is called wrong. When God makes a clear statement, a clear statement, not obscure, a clear statement, it's eternal. It never changes. The administration in Washington will change. The culture will change. Technology will change. God says, I change not. Therefore, if my government says tomorrow the legislation has passed a new civil law saying it is permissible for me to marry a Cocker Spaniel, well, that's my civil right. But I'm a member of God's kingdom with a king. And God says, because you are a believer in Jesus, you're part of my government, my kingdom. And in my kingdom, don't do that. So your civil right is not a Bible right. If Bible forbids it, I'm with you. You may not like it. It may be uncomfortable. Maybe it makes people uncomfortable, but so does God's Word. Jesus showed up and made a lot of people uncomfortable. It's not about being comfortable. It's about doing what he said. As simple as that. Okay, I just wanted to show you your civil right is not a Bible right. Number two, you pick a church out by its style of worship. Ask the question. Simple. Does the worship style encourage me, help me feel God's presence? Now, because we're all different. There are different styles, and different styles help us experience God in different ways. There is no one style that came from heaven. For crying out loud, the only thing that doesn't change is God's Word and God. I change not. My Word is eternal. Heaven and earth will fall away. My Word will never fall away. Okay, that being the truth then, there is no style that's the most holy or the most right. Well, you're, if you've got multiple kids, they won't have the same style. They won't like the same food. They won't like the same clothes. There are a whole lot of things they don't like that are different. In John 4, verse 23, he says, Paul writes, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So once you're worshiping in spirit and truth, God doesn't give two cents about your style. Some churches are very formal. Some are very contemporary, very loose. Even churches that believe the same in the same denomination have different styles. Now, I think some it's casual, but we're not total chaos but we're not the frozen chosen either. This is really important for you. you you'll find churches that they wear gowns. You'll find preachers that wear a, a, a special preaching gown. Maybe they have a big, large cross. They wear gold or silver. There's nothing in the Bible that says that's good or bad. Nothing. They didn't even have it when the New Testament was written. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing commanded for it. Can we have a Hammond B organ, or can we have guitars, or can we have whatever? It doesn't matter. There's no scripture prohibiting everything can praise the Lord, all instruments, all voices. So there are styles in different churches and different denominations. Now, some of those styles are just preference. They're not scriptural. So I don't have to do it that way. So I'm saying to you, find the church style that believes God's word, that preaches the good news, but it has a style that you're comfortable with. How about that? That's called liberation, right? I mean, that's not, you could be on cocaine and figure that out. 
I'm, I'm, people just, I marvel at that. I'm always a guy who says, show me scripture for that. Show me a scripture. I don't care what's on it. Show me scripture for that. And if you can't, shut up. It's just your preference. And that's okay. Go follow your preference. But find the church that sings your song. All people are not right for just one church. I saw on somebody's marquee a church for everyone. I thought, what a joke. There is no one church for everyone. I don't know what they believe. I don't know what style of of worship they have or this style of music or whatever. You could go to an Episcopal church. They have a style. You could could come to Summit. You'd say they're different. You go to a Catholic church. You'd say very different. Right? Yeah. Any of you all ever get out of town? I'm just wondering if you ever anywhere had something to compare. What what you've done. (laughs) I remember lighting a candle in a Lutheran church as a little altar boy. I remember doing that. I didn't find that in the Bible, but it was okay. You know, it was part of my learning experience. So I'm trying to show you one size doesn't fit everybody. The only thing God says you must be is is accurate with my word. That that was non-debatable, okay? But style and technology, there's nothing to prohibit lights. There's nothing to prevent video. They had cathedrals with pictures in them and a scripture. That was the first video screen. Of course they had it. David played a guitar, a harp. We don't know if he used a 4-4 beat, a 3-4 beat. Shut up. There's no scripture for it. It's just your taste, your style. Find that place is what I'm trying to say to you. It takes all kinds of churches to minister to all kinds of people. One church will minister well to this group of people, but be irrelevant to another group. So we're all different. Our personality, our temperament, so were the apostles different. Peter would cut you lower than a whale's belly with a sword. Nehemiah would pluck your beard out. Ezra plucked his beard out when Israel sinned. I ain't plucking my beard out, okay? So you can figure, they're different. They're different. So they're not divisive. They're just different styles, okay? Don't try to change the style. That's pretty dumb. Just find the one that fits your style. When you select a church, be sure it's right for you. And more importantly, am I right for this church? Are you just going to be toxic and complaining and murmuring all the time? See, I don't believe everybody should come here. I've met people out in the lobby over, over the years and suggested they go as they were visiting somewhere else. I could tell by their questions. They want me to be a legalist. You know, I got to expose the Easter bunny and Santa Claus, and uh, I've got to tell you when Jesus is coming back, and I got to tell you who the white horse of Revelation is, which nobody knows anyway, but they, they were in a church like that that had more rules than God gave. And I thought, you don't belong here. You need to move on down the road. There's a place for you. <laughs> it's just not here, right? Don't you think that's liberating? I, I think that's wonderful. That's, that's so simple. Number three, what's its strategy? What are the visions, the goals, the objective of that church? Does the church take the Great Commission seriously? Does it try and equip its people for ministry? Does it emphasize every member is a minister? There are no spare parts that everybody has a place in the body of Christ? Everybody. And number four, it's structure. How's it organized? Is there a sense of liberty and freedom? The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. 
Many churches get bogged down in tradition and bureaucracies and political maneuvering, and the church becomes hamstrung. So ask, will this structure allow me to get involved in a ministry? Does it have small groups where I can learn to relate to people? See, whether a church has 60, 600, or 6,000, studies have shown the average person only knows about 15 people. So you don't have to know everybody to feel like it's your church, but you got to know somebody. And that's the value of small groups. At least you know those people. So we have large group celebration, but small group fellowship. See, we try to keep structure simple, which means you can get involved and join tomorrow. You don't have to jump through 15 committees or a bunch of political hoops. We're not a business, and we're not an organization like the Lions Club or Rotary. We're a family. Families operate on relationships. We're not voting in a family. See, so once you find the church that's right for you, quit hopping, grasshopper, and commit to it. Find a place. Many, many people say, why should I join a church? I can still attend. I can still benefit from everything. Well, let me turn that question around and say, why wouldn't you want to? Especially when God said you need to be connected to a local body, a local family. Some people say, well, I'm committed to the invisible body of Christ. Okay, when you get sick, call the invisible pastor. When you need a funeral, call the invisible pastor. How stupid. Who are you accountable to? You need a tangible body. And three reasons you need to join a church, and we'll quit. Number one, to build my character. Character is built through commitment. In our society, nobody wants to commit to anything anymore whether it's marriage or a job or a church or a family. They want to float and keep their options open. But you only grow through commitment. You won't make it in marriage. You won't make it in fulfilling a dream or a vision unless you are committed to it. And the commitment will hold you when motivation won't, when feeling won't. I am committed to it come heck or high water. I'm committed. I'm in, I'm out. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Never did he say maybe. Never did he say kind of. Like, well, I'm kind of pregnant. No, you aren't. You either are or you aren't. You're either in or you're out. Commitment, see? Dr. Robert Bella, professor of sociology at the University of California, Berkeley, wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. When asked, why is it so difficult for people to be connected and committed to one another in society today, he went on to say, and I quote, I think it's related to the strong emphasis in our society on individual autonomy and self-fulfillment as if that were the top priority. The moment a person feels the group or the individual is not contributing to his own interest, he pulls out. It's very hard to get people who are in that mode to think of themselves as a part of we instead of me and to realize there's no such thing as a solo journey. When asked, how did we get to this non-committal place in our culture? He said, and I quote, I think one of the main reasons has to do with the worship of self. This culture selfishness destroys the self as well as our relationship to others. When we lose the sense of being connected to others in our society, we're tempted to think, well, the whole point of life is the next promotion. Get more money, get more goods, create a private world for myself. And then he goes on to say the religious community 
is one of the few places we can attempt to build a sense of connectedness that rescues us from this focus only on ourselves. And he goes on to say, one of the vital roles of small groups is to provide us with a place to talk together about raising kids, making life decisions, understanding life, working out problems, helping one another, and learning from each other's experiences. See, I want to learn from your experience. Whether it's good or bad, I want to learn from that rather than me having to experience it. I mean, even somebody that blew up their life, I want to learn. I don't need to have my experience to learn from your experience. It's a lot cheaper for me to learn from your experience. So if you're in a small group and somebody's already been through the problem you're facing and they've come out on the other side well, I could learn from them what to expect, how to handle it, how they felt. That encourages me. I don't have to go out and experience everything on myself, right? So that's another benefit of being connected. You might have a need and somebody says, you know, I know we've got a guy in our church or a gal in our church who owns this company or who does that, and I can give them a call and we can have that taken care of. And the other person says, oh, gee, that's great. That's the point of family, of connectedness. I've been able to point people to different people or a doctor or somebody who was able to make something that would have been unaffordable, affordable to help them in that crisis. That's the benefit of family. The Bible says, woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has nobody to pick him up. So in the family, I want people to be able to pick me up if I fall, if if there's something wrong, if I need help. I want that encouragement. I want to be there. We want to be there for you. But if you're not connected, we don't know what the heck's happening to you. Anybody care about me? Oh, shut up, Sparky. You're connected to nobody. You're a taker. You didn't contribute anything. You didn't sow anything. You're not going to reap anything. How hard is that? Do I really need to be spirit-filled to get that? Come on. Come on. Do I need a Bible study to get that? No. You just need Rick to tell you. (laughs) Come on. Come on. All right. The real reason some people don't want to join a church, they don't want to be responsible or accountable. They want to take, but no accountability and no responsibility. And the Bible says that's immaturity. So we are to make proper commitments in life. Commitment in marriage. Commitment in business. Commitment to a dream. Commitment to your local church family in order to grow up. Secondly, to deepen relationships. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says you should be like one big happy family, loving one another with tender hearts. An article entitled, Whatever Happened to Commitment? The author writes this, commitment is at the foundation of all human relationships. It's what human relationships are all about. We're made to live in relationship with others. A person who withdraws all commitment to others ceases to be human, unquote. So you can't have a relationship to any degree without commitment to it. It's the same thing when young people say, let's, let's don't get married, let's just live together. Well, what's lacking in that relationship is commitment, meaning I can walk out anytime I want. I don't have to be responsible, but I can enjoy the pleasure without any kind of a cost or commitment. One lady in London, when I was preaching last year, she said she was teaching, she was teaching uh, a morning session, and she was, telling, uh, she was telling the crowd, no ringy, no dingy. I got it. I got the idea. No, make a commitment to me. Don't walk out on me. 
You girls don't use your life, your eggs, and all that on somebody not committed to you for crying out loud. That means they can cut and run. But when you're committed, there is no running. For better or worse, in sickness and health, till death do us part, I'm in. I'm committed. You want to win in life? Up your commitment. Okay, be committed to the right things. That's all. Number three, helps us be like Jesus. You need to be committed to the church because Christ is committed to the church. In fact, Paul wrote to the Ephesians saying, Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. That's how important it was. He created it. He died for it and says it's his eternal purpose. So how can it not be important to me if Jesus died for it? The Bible says the church is the body of Christ. Can you imagine somebody saying to their spouse, well, I accept you, but I hate your body. You can't say, I accept Jesus and reject his body. No, no, no. Commitment to Christ implies a commitment to the rest of the family. See, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 8, I'll build my church. He didn't say he'd build your kingdom. He didn't say he'd build America. He didn't say he'd build your personal wealth. He said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And that's what God's up to in our world today. It doesn't matter what else is going on in this crazy world. The church will go on for eternity. It's God's eternal purpose, Ephesians write. See, Jesus doesn't say he'll build his parachurch or my personal wealth. He says, I'll build my church. So I want to be in on what is eternal and what God's building and what God's doing. So if you're a believer, either decide that some it's going to be your family and join or start checking out others. Do some honest investigation. But if we sing your song, ring your bell, express your heart, and help you, then decide to become part of the family of God right here and be committed, be accountable, be responsible. I've told many people this wasn't the place for them. I want people who feel called of God to be here, people who are willing to be committed to all the other members. Find your place, get connected. And boy, if you read Psalms, it says, those who are planted in the house of God will bear fruit in their old age. You won't decay. You'll be fruitful in your old age. Strong. That's the benefit of being planted, not just laying on the ground like a tumbleweed hopping all over the place. So I want to grow, mature, and develop. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.